This week on the Dregzine Podcast, we talked to Supercar Street National promoter Mel Roth about the event this year, what's going on with the ADRL, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put in the beams. The Dregzine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, Mel Roth joins us, and we talk about his little dance party he had out in Vegas this week. Awesome race with the uh, Streetcar Super National 16 that I got to attend. Talk about the ADRL and just, you know, drag racing in general. It's a fun little pre-Turkey Day bash. So uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right. My guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is promoter Mel Roth. What's going on, Mel? Hey, not much. How's it going today? Oh, doing good, man. Doing good. Just, uh, you know, just got back from your race in Vegas and uh, still trying to uh, edit pictures and get things lined out and just kind of uh, digest everything that happened while I was out there. Man, it was a, a little bit of everything. Uh, those of you out there that don't know what the Streetcar Super Nationals is, it's a marathon. Um, and it, But it is a marathon of epic proportion, I guess, if you want to... Uh, categorize categorize it it's a fast paced marathon i will honestly say that having you know four lanes to run off of i've been to a lot of events but having those lanes like the only like downtime there was between classes was the starting line crew switching over to the other set of lanes there wasn't you know the downtime you typically have with radial prep it was pretty much you know we're rolling the next class and just you guys moved a lot of cars down the track Oh, yeah. Well, we had uh, over 550 on the property. Uh, we were actually down 45 cars from um, last year, which is absolutely amazing con- con- considering the pandemic. And mainly we were down 45 Canadians because the Canadians, you know, they really come to this race. They come out in full force. And just for so people out there uh, listening, uh, the race is held in November at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the Strip. And the strip has four lanes. So what we do is the lanes that are closest to the main uh, grandstands, those are all our slick tire lanes. So we keep it prepped from, you know, from test and tune Wednesday until Sunday night finals just for slick tire cars. The other two tracks, radio prep, we keep it prepped for radio cars and in radio cars only, you know, a radio classes, I guess you can't say all radio cars, but radio classes only. And the track is consistent from day one, Kurt Johnson, TBC, uh, Ralph Kane and, and his guys, along with the Las Vegas Motor Speedway staff. Uh, I mean, the, it's absolutely amazing. But while we're running, we, like you said, how fast paced it is. So we'll run one or two, slick tire classes down the slick tire lanes which is lanes one and two and then while we're running those cars we have track prep guys prepping the radio track so when we're done with that second class of slick tire cars we walk everybody's like a it's like a circus we go from one track to the next we set up boom cars are coming to this to the radio lanes we do a couple classes of radio cars it's pretty it's a pretty pretty cool deal and I will say that that track was set on murder, death, kill on both <laughs> both lanes. Like Oh, absolutely. The, the radial te- prep lane, I actually have pictures of it. It ripped the bottoms off of 
someone's shoes. Like there was like yeah. you could tell where it pulled material off of the shoes, and I've oh. never seen that happen before. <laughs> and you know, we debuted the new LD Limited Drag Radio car there, and I got to see what the track was pulling all the time, and it was a consistent four twenty plus pulling in the heat of the day, out of the heat of the day. I mean, it. the radial lane was good, and the slick tire lane was good enough to the point that uh, I think there's some guys that struggled that they didn't have a tune-up for uh, track conditions like that. Yeah, we, I mean, we we realized that the, you know, we, we want the, the, the slick lanes to be, the you know, the best lanes they'll have, you know, for the year. Because, I, I mean, that's what we do. We strive on it. Uh, it might have been just a little too tight and where a lot of guys would shake. Um, but you know, there obviously some of them figured it out and some just couldn't. And, and I, and I get that. And like I said, we'll look at all our notes and if we have to, you know, maybe tone the slick tire lanes down a tad, uh, we will for next year. But as you talked about the radial lanes, yes, both starting lines were 425 pretty much the whole weekend. And then anywhere from two to 300 feet out, it was 475 plus. So that's why a lot of these guys, which, we can take a, a John Urist, for example. You know, a John Urist went 422, and I believe he went a 420. Yeah, he went a 20. Now, right. So I believe his quickest pass ever is pretty close to that 420. But, you know, we're we're anywhere from 25 to 35 density altitude with no water grains in the air. So for those guys to go that quick on at that uh, density altitude, that's telling you that the track was there. What was crazy was like watching Outlaw 10.5 and Pro Mod cars down track. Like typically in spots and cars, you normally don't see them get up on the bars down track. They were <laughs> they were kind of trying to ride up down track. And that's something that if you're not used to, it's a little bit of a terrifying experience from a driver's point of view. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, that's yeah, it's just like I said, their cars are just I mean, they're stuck and the and when it's stuck like that, there's only one thing that could happen. <laughs> the front end's coming up. You know, a little bit of backstory on this event. You've been doing it for sixteen years. You know, what what's the history of this event for maybe some of our listeners that aren't familiar with this? How did you decide, hey, uh, let's put on a big crazy race in Vegas? You know, how did how did that come about? Well, it it pretty much started from the beginning. Uh twenty one years ago I started the Pacific Streetcar Association out west california arizona and then in, in 2000 we took it to vegas to uh you know run our, our our normal you know five to nine race series and during that that time um i actually did work for the nmra for a while like i used to go out there to either tech or uh work work their staging lanes so i did a i did like two or three races and one of them races was at um um orlando and at Orlando, I met Carl Weisinger. Well, Carl Weisinger, at the time, he had the race. I mean, the, the, you know, it, it is, was the premier streetcar race, you know, called the World Streetcar Nationals. And I talked to Carl, and we kind of, we kind of hit it off very well. And uh, so that, and I think this was right after 9-11. So that was 2001. Like you got the, I believe it's 2001. Well, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I, that that it was right after 9/11. So the, the following year, I Carl brought me out there, and I worked my first race with him. And uh, I basically spotted, did some tech, and then you know he asked me, he goes, he goes, what do you think, you know, what do you think about my race, and what do you think that could improve it, you know, as another promoter? 
And the only thing that I really saw that his race that I thought needed help was in parking. And I go, man, I go, I go, I, you know, I strive myself on getting parking done where everybody's where they're supposed to be in an orderly fashion, be, you know, be courteous to them, greet them, thank them for coming to the race. And so he brought me out there for year after year after year to park his, his event. And then um, around 2004, uh, I was talking to Monty Bernie, rest his, rest his soul. And Monty Bernie had just won uh, Orlando Heavy Street class. And I told him, I said, what do you think about a race similar to this out West? And he said, man, Mel, he goes, he goes, he goes, it's a no brainer. You got to do it. And then I, um, when I got back, I, I called up Chris Blair, who was running the Las Vegas Motor Speedway at the time. I told him what I wanted to do. He thought I was crazy. And I said, hey, I go, I go, give it some time. And this could be the biggest event anywhere. And um, lo and behold, you know, 16 years later, um, it's grown and it's grown into huge, a huge event. And, and it's tough for people like, like if you watched it online, uh, on flow racing this last uh, weekend. I mean, you know, we we were under strict COVID restrictions. We could only have 4.5% capacity in the grandstands. The tickets all had to be purchased online. I mean, you had to wear you know you had to wear a mask. So it was it was a rough deal. But we still put a decent amount in the stands. Um, and then car count, like I said, our car count was down. I mean, it was down in Pro Mod, Outlaw 10.5, and Big Tire. Traditionally, the classes that Canadian cars uh, would, you know, would come and run in. But last year, which was our biggest year, which we had 595 cars, we had 300 heads-up cars. I don't know any race anywhere ever that has 300 heads-up cars. That's tough to, to you know, to complete in a, in a weekend. I mean, 300 heads-up cars, that's a lot of heads-up cars. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, that's, so that's kind of how... You know, Monty Bernie is the one that told me I should, you know, when I asked him, he told me I should do it. Um, and like I said, we just we just started with, you know, generic classes and we just we just kept going. Uh, we just kept going, you know, adding classes. And, and, and now we do a lot of no time classes because that because that's popular small tire. We got so many small tire classes. It's nuts. But, you know, they they fill the, the racers come fill the classes and it's. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's a, it's a great show. And if you've never been to it, uh, if you go one time, it's usually on your list to go the next year. If you can't ever come, if you're out of the country or whatever, you know, we, we, we signed a five-year deal with flow racing. So it'll be on flow along with all the other big races out there. So we welcome people to check us out and uh, watch our Facebook page. Cause we're, we're right now, we're just starting to put all the photos and, um, everything from that race on the Facebook page and all the stories like from drag scene and all that on there as well. Yeah. After coming to the race for the first time, I would definitely say this needs to be added to anybody that's a, a drag racing connoisseur. Like they like to go to big events. This needs to go on the checklist for a lot of reasons. And especially I think if you're from the East coast, because there was a lot of cars there that I've never got to see before. And to me, that's always cool. And again, just to see the racing was good. It was good, solid racing. And to me, I think that being able to put a product out on the track like that in the drag racing world is very important because it keeps fans engaged. Oh, absolutely. And, and you gotta, and, you know, and another thing, you know, Vegas is a destination. So that, 
kind of gives us two reasons to get people out here. You get, you know, especially with if they're traveling from the Midwest to the East Coast, Canada or whatever. I mean, you, yeah, you're right. You get to see cars that you've never seen in person before. And I'm telling you, it's like not not that cars are, you know, are ugly or not, you know, well built around the country. But, man, it is unbelievable how many nice cars that are out here. It was like, I mean, we, we debuted a new class called Pro 275 No Time. Man, every car was like a work of art. They were, uh, it was, I mean, for as a promoter watching the cars, you know, pull up to the stage lanes and, you know, and are sitting underneath that beautiful arch at, you know, Las Vegas Motor Speedway for photo ops and all that. It's, uh, man, it's like I said, definitely worth it. But you, you got to remember it, that we have so many cars that it's a long race. So you, as a fan, you need to pace yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but we, we, we've been, we tried, I mean, this race was, was a little rougher than most. We had some things happen that never happened before. And so like Sunday, we got done a little bit late Saturday night, we got done late, but the other days we were done, you know, where you can still go into town and, you know, go to Fremont street, go wherever and enjoy the Vegas life, you know, lifestyle. But if it was me, Plan a week, you know, a couple days of Vegas before the race, maybe a day or so after the race, go Grand Canyon, stuff like that, Lake Mead, plenty of things to do around here. And uh, like I said, make it a vacation and you'll you'll put it on your yearly schedule. Oh, I told my wife, I was like, we got to do a vacation out here for sure. And like you, they have the big dirt track race the week before. So oh, yeah. my diabolical scheme is our vacation will be her and I will do the dirt track race. And then the following week, I'll be like, hey, I'm just going to stay out here and work the Super Streetcar Nationals. So, you know, I'll work there from the go. hotel a few days and I'll get the best of both worlds. In two weeks, I'll get to see a massive dirt track race and then I get to go to a big drag race. I see yeah. no flaws in this plan. No, I don't see it either because we're on property during that dirt track race. And um, that race was that race was overwhelming. I mean, they had like 575 entries. I mean, it was which is it was crazy. And it started on Monday and it didn't end until Saturday late night. It's like, wow, five. To give, I, I thought I thought our race was long <laughs> to give drag racing fans perspective. Five hundred seventy five entries for a dirt track race is bananas. Oh, and yeah. a week-long dirt track race, again, that is like, that's a big deal. That's like Chili Bowl level. And, yeah. you know, I like anything loud, fast, and dangerous. So, you know, for me, that's that's something cool to check out for sure. And it's another thing, reason why you just mentioned Flow Racing. What I love about that is I get to watch all the big dirt track races plus drag racing. I cancel my cable. I'm like, well, I don't need this anymore. I got YouTube and I got racing. What more do you need in life? Yeah, I mean, well, with our limited time schedule as well, I mean, it is because we I can't I can't sit there and watch races live. I mean, I, I can't do it. There's no way for, you know, I have three small kids. We're traveling from race to race. So we can't we don't have time to sit and watch a race. But with flow racing, not that this is a flow racing infomercial, but it's starting to sound like it. But it's like you can you can get it at any time. Then you can go to anywhere you want in the race, you know, whatever part you want to see. So to us, best bang for the buck. I mean, it's cheap and uh, we're on it and we're, you know, we also have a St. Louis version of this race. Yeah. Uh, which is July 9th and 10th, 2021 at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Chris Blair is now from Vegas. It's now over at that uh, Worldwide, Worldwide Technology Raceway. And uh, we're, we're calling that race Radials After Dark. So basically, it's going to be a radio tire race, and we're not going to start that race until 
eight thirty, nine o'clock at night, and we'll run it until the hours of the morning. So it's going to be kind of a different deal for us, but we know that radial tires, especially in the summertime, they don't like a lot of heat. So no, no, no. That's uh, when when you see those track temps start to climb, you know, there's no amount of prep in the world that's going to save that surface because you end up just turning into goo anyway. Yep. But Kurt Johnson, even though this, I mean, this was our best weather weekend we've ever had at Streetcar. Um, I mean, we were mid seventies every day, and then, you know, it never. I don't even think it got in the forties while we were on the racetrack. I mean, that's that never happened before, and so I mean, so we got kind of spoiled. But you know, the uh, the the track. Uh, um, administration office after the race told me they go hey mel you know you're never going to get that lucky with weather again and i told him yep you're probably right so yeah it was definitely uh, the the weather was definitely quite uh tolerable all weekend which is nice because you know again I, I travel races all over the country at different times of the year and it's very rare to be an event that that's it's that temperate for the entire event right yeah we, but we'll definitely take it in you know, I and like I said, the fans that were there and the racers that were there, uh, it makes the the atmosphere so much. I mean, everyone's in a better mood, you know, that, you know, and then, you know, then you're if you, if you know what you're going to get, you know, four straight days, then the track guys know what they got to do. And the track is consistent and we didn't lose the radio track at any time during the weekend. It doesn't make a difference if it was sunny, you know, sunny and sunny, 75 all day i mean that track stayed exactly where it was and so kudos to kurt johnson and his guys at tvc switching gears a little bit we mentioned this in the pre-call you know you're also involved with the with the adrl which is you know i remember going to the adrl races in its first iteration here in ohio and those those races were those were events i mean packed with people kenny throwing money at people i mean you know, bananas racing. That was that was something totally different at the time. Is that something you guys are trying to 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 rekindle with the the new ADRL? Um, yes and no. Uh, I'm the one that Kenny makes give away the hundred dollar bills now. <laughs> <laughs> so Ken, Kenny is amazing on the microphone, and he can keep racing fans to stay. Meaning he winter's circle at ADRL is unlike anything else you've ever seen. I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of people that stick around all day and watch the winter circle. So the new ADRL, as we call it, we're trying to more condense our events. So basically the the show part, say, you know, five o'clock to eleven o'clock, run a jet car, and that's it. We're trying not to have 500 race cars, you know, running all day long, every day. We just don't want to do it. We know how long the the fans, you know, attention span is. And, and that's, you know, five, six hours. Um, now, bringing the ADRL back seemed like a no-brainer last December when we were at PRI and announced it. Uh, but then, <laughs> then you throw in a pandemic. Well, the ADRL strives on free tickets and our first two events were very hampered on on that deal and those first ones were in texas and then back at worldwide technology so we i mean granted you know we had five thousand fans in there and to a normal drag to a normal drag race 
okay for a normal drag race that's fine you know that would be a that would be a big event but for ADRL, it's nothing because we we need full grandstands to be able to do what we what we we want to do so uh, so now we got uh october in texas basically the gloves are off for this race and gloves are off meaning we didn't have any restrictions on on the race and we ended up getting 20,000 people in on Saturday night at, at uh, the Texas Motorplex. It was like, it was just like back, you know, going back 10 years. And um, so it was pretty cool. Now, as for classes wise, basically Pro Extreme is our main class. I mean, we're just, we're all about Pro Extreme, the fastest, you know, door slammer class, period. Um, and then, we just welcome back Mountain Motor Pro Stock, which is uh, um, extreme pro stock on our, our list of of categories, a couple junior classes, and then we do a small tire, big time, or small tire, big tire shootouts, and then a couple local bracket deals. And so we keep the car count small, and we just keep an action-packed show. We average 25 pro extreme cars, which... Wes Buck from another publication. I think it's Drag Illustrated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he wrote the obituary for, uh, for Pro Extreme, I think, five years ago. So 25 cars in one class. I, I think it's alive and well. And it's interesting that you, you mentioned kind of like the cadence and the pacing of the race. Now, the PDRA does something sort of similar with how they arrange that like in the afternoons is when they have like their pro session and stuff like that. And the reason being is if fans want to just come see the pros, they know when they're going to be on the track. But if they want to do the full pull like an idiot like me that will spend 24 <laughs> hours at a drag strip, you can see all the sportsman racing, which I think both of these approaches are very smart. Because by have by fans knowing you attacking that shorter attention span, you are going to pack the stands when you want to pack them the most. Yeah, absolutely. And and don't get me wrong, PDRA is. I mean, they they got an awesome show. I mean, they they have you know their classes are are all competitive and um, you know usually full fields. I mean, they got an amazing show. But we just you know not you know we just didn't want to do that. We didn't want to have to park four hundred cars. We want to. Like I said, and people say, well, you don't have a lot of cars. Well, yeah, we do. We have enough cars. I mean, it's no different than a monster truck show. Monster truck show is three hours, I believe, pretty close to three hours. I've only been to a couple. but uh, And they got 20 monster trucks. <laughs> How much more do you need? You know? So it, and then, and then we pay our racers and, and the majority of the classes, like Pro Extreme, they don't have to pay an entry fee, don't have to pay their crew. So therefore... And then, and then you get two thousand dollars if you qualify for the sixteen car field. So, it, it you know it for a racer standpoint, it's a no brainer. If you have a pro mod, and you can go race for free, and if you qualify, you get a guaranteed two thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's uh, you know pretty smart. Pro mod, in my opinion, is the most versatile heads up class there is because there is somewhere you can go race in the country, and have fun, and. Yep. There's some place that it depends on how much money you want to spend on how much, you know, competitive you, you know, really want to be. But you can do everything from local 16 car shootouts all the way up to something like an ADRL, PDRA or an NMCA. I mean, there's so much room there and people, they love pro mods because they're crazy. They are just yep. they are the most angry door cars on the planet. 
Yeah. And, and what, what, what's beauty with us, we're at, you know, for any boosted combination, it's 2,450 pounds and anything goes. So we, we can fit every single pro mod. Um, so it kind of gives us when it, when it comes as marketing, marketing tool to get pro mods, it, every pro mod will fit in our deal without having to do anything. And like I said, and then, you know, entering free, man, it's just, uh, it's a no brainer if you, if you own a pro mod and, uh, with 25 plus per race in, you know, in a pandemic, uh, I'll, I'll give that a, uh, I'm sorry I have to mention pandemic, but no. it does, <laughs> it does. And it did affect the racing world in 2020. I mean, big time. Oh, it, you could see it lock stock and barrel in a lot of different ways. And, you know, it was very interesting to see how racers and organizations dealt with it. And the thing that I noticed is that when people were at the track, no matter what events I did get to go to, they were just so happy to be there. That was the oh, big yeah. thing. And and that was a lot in, in Vegas because, you know, the Vegas track was closed many, many months. California, like Fontana, never opened up this year. Phoenix was closed a majority of the time. So we got racers and fans that really couldn't do much of anything you know, out West, they were able to come to Vegas for our race and have a good time. And, and then on, on, a, on, you know, like, I guess on a sad note, we're, we're, we're sitting there packing up on Monday, packing the trailer up and a PA announcement goes out because they're getting ready to uh, have a Thanksgiving day race at, at Vegas. And uh, that's a big family oriented type uh, bracket race. And they announced with the new, uh, guidelines that the government came out with the night before, which was Sunday, uh, that the rest of the, the remaining events for 2021 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway uh, have been canceled. That's everything, uh, you know, the any track they, that they run on, they they canceled. So, so it was a sad, sad deal. You know, I mean, we just, I mean, we just got our race. I mean, we finished Sunday night and Monday night they, or Monday morning they announced that. What was crazy was when all this first started happening and, you know, TX2K, they tried to shut that event like down after the event started. Like they showed up and said, you all got to shut down. And, you know, the, the promotion crew there was like, I don't think so. We got a lot of people here. So they had to sacrifice, you know, their gate. You know, they basically yep. couldn't let any fans in, but it was what they had to do to stay open. And you saw a lot of that where, you know, you just tracks and promoters had to improvise and overcome. Yeah, and I believe that's what the dirt track racing world did. Uh, I think they just figured out a way to, you know, pack the back gate, I guess is what they call it, and, uh, and able to survive because it was. This year was just about surviving. And, you know, speaking of surviving, when we, we didn't get, you know, we, um, the fan, they allowed us 4.5% capacity but that was the two, the uh, one week before we opened the gate. So we couldn't sell one spectator ticket up until one week until the event started. Um, and then at that point, you're looking, I mean, you were with the numbers they gave me. I mean, we were looking at a huge deficit to overcome because it's like there's no, we can't sell enough tickets to make the money that we normally sell on tickets. And, and with that, you know, come, you know, what do you do as a promoter? You can't, you can't lose everything on one race and then not have not have the finance the finances to be able to you know go to 2021 with the race so we were in the you know we were in the the decision making mode and 
and we decided that we were going to, you know, start, start, we were going to cut some purses down just, you know, not incredibly down, but just enough to where, you know, we just didn't lose everything we, we have. And once uh, racers and fans found out what we were doing, man, the calls kept coming in, you know, anywhere from a hundred bucks to a thousand bucks. And, and they helped us get the purses back up to where they were pre, you know, during what the, what the races, you know, cause we, our payouts are $105,000. That's what they start out at. So we were able to pay almost $105,000 out because of a bunch of fans, racers and, and companies that found out that, you know, we, we needed some help and they know that, you know, it's a fan, we're family. It's me and my wife and our kids. And we bring our, our great crew in. That's a bunch of locals and for, you know, in the Vegas area and our friends have been lifetime friends and they all come and help us. And, uh, we all pulled it together and racers got paid and, uh, it turned out way better than we thought it was going to see and that's what's i think what you know really is awesome about the racing community is that they're willing to step up to do you know what they got to do whether it's helping even a, a tough competitor get ready for the next round or whatever that to, to help kind of keep everything going i think that sense was really really heightened this year because of all of the you know the restrictions and everything yeah and like i said they all came together and uh Man, like I said, is it? It's my wife shed a lot of tears because it just she, you know, to see what people did, and 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 we know the, you know, we know some people's financial situations and all that, and they still want to give, and it's just like it was like it was like wow, and uh, so now we're through it, we can start planning for 2021, which is November 18th through 21st at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, and like I said, we'll, and hopefully we have our Canadians back because our Canadians are important to us. They, they helped to build the race and, and made this race what it is today. So hopefully them borders are, will be opened up and they can come back and compete. You know, you mentioned something there too, you know, with, you know, I think a lot of racers need to take a step back and think about this a little bit more before they let their fingers do talking on the internet about what it really takes to put on these races because i think there's a lot of misconceptions out there that people think that promoters and tracks just make you know you just you're making money hand over fist like you just you don't know what to do at all and that's far from the case because it's a lot of work to make an event and a promotion work i've been on the inside of it and i've seen the numbers it would i think it would shock a lot of racers to understand what it takes to really make these things happen uh, a lot a lot of well a lot of what we do I mean, we, we just try to break even at an event and then use our t-shirt sales as our, you know, as our profit or at, you know, as our way to, to, you know, to promote for the next year. And because, because it is, I mean, the expenses, I mean, if you just imagine Las Vegas motor speedway, it's one of the biggest tracks in, in the world. Uh, and then you're prepping four lanes nonstop. The, it, we, you know, we start, you know, we start racing at 8 a.m. and, you know, usually race to at least 8 p.m. or later every day. You have, you know, it, it's it's in the fall, so the, the lights have to go on around 3.30, 4 o'clock. So, I mean, there's so many expenses that it's, you know, it's, it's astronomical. And it, but it, and it takes them fans, them racers that come out and support it to be able, for us to be able to keep doing it. And yes, and break even. As long, if, if we can break even at the financials at the race, and then, like I said, sell T-shirts and the event shirts to be able to make our profit, so we can we can we can promote properly for the next year. 
there you go. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's the, the, the smart way to do the business. And, you know, for, from your point of view, you know, don't, being a promoter, what do you think is it that promoters need to really, you know, what, what makes a successful event, you know, from a promoter standpoint? C- customer relations. I mean, the, the personal aspect, um, knowing a little bit about your, your customer um, I, what I do at, at, at my races and, and I can't, obviously I can't greet them all when they come in the gate, but I do try. I'm there at that gate almost, you know, every, every hour it's open. I'm there. They see me, I park them. Um, and I appreciate them coming and I, and I let them know, you know, personal little things we do, you know, from, from parking maps to, you know, you know, um, you know, pre-registration and stuff like that, where we fill out their tech cards for them and stuff, you know, I mean, just little things like that. I think the racers appreciate it. And then the, you know, the track prep where they know that they, you know, it's not going to be on, you know, they, they know that they can, it's on them to go fast. (laughs) Put it that way. We, we got the track there for anybody to go fast. So it's, it's gotta be on them. And um, I believe, you know, the little things do go a long way, but, you know, reaching out to your racers, calling them up, messaging them, any, anything to let them know that you, you're thinking about them. I mean, that's that's big. I always say that to to have a successful drag race, you need three the three Ps. You need a well-run program. You need good prep on the track so racers aren't getting cranky like they do it sometimes. You know, just good enough, nah. to, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then you need payouts that are respectable. You know, not, you know, like dirt cheap, but not, you know, a million dollars to win. Those three things, I think if promoters and tracks understood that a lot more, their lives would be a lot easier. Yeah, well, the last, well, especially the last two years, um, I didn't, I haven't gotten one complaint that the track prep wasn't good. I mean, in years past, yes, because we used to always fight with one set of tracks. We used to have to go back and forth between radio prep, slick tire prep, radio track, slip tire track. You know, so it was it was rough to be able to give them radio cars what they wanted. And then it was even rougher to give the slick tire cars that they wanted because after you prep a track radio, it's hard to knock it down for a slick tire car oh, to go down. Brutal. Yeah. So, but, you know, like I said, I mean, we we're one out of one of only two you know, drag strips in the country that have four lanes. I mean, we're blessed to be able to do this for the track prep and, and we pay for it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we go through glue like you wouldn't believe and the knowledge from, from a Kurt Johnson and, and Jeff Foster, who's the track manager. Uh, I mean, they, they know what they're doing and man, we, <laughs> we, if we have a little thing going on on my Facebook page right now, it's called Epic Fails and these Epic Fails uh, especially it's on the radio tire tide. It's people falling down, falling out of their shoes, pulling out of their socks, uh, on their knees. I mean, <laughs> if if you haven't took your time to go look, and, and if you're a photographer, you got to at least have one or two of these shots in your camera because they were falling down all weekend long. Yes, there were me- like, what what's funny is when you see the progression of misery for someone that gets stuck to a track because the first <laughs> thing you'll see is like a shoe stuck and then you'll see where a sock was stuck to the track and then you'll see the final step a lot of times the barefoot marks and if like it is painful to get stuck to a drag strip 
that is oh, yeah. that is the truth because that glue is i mean it they, they don't call it glue for you know for no reason right. it, it is not fun to try to unstick yourself from a track no, I, I call it the I call it the death wobble because you know <laughs> you don't know where to go. You're trying to figure out, but you're falling. You just got to figure out which direction you're falling, and you try so hard to stay up, and it just oh, it is. Like I said, we <laughs> I sat on the starting line the whole race, and it's funny because it is funny. I mean, you know, I'm sure it's not funny to the person that's actually falling, or you know, maybe they might twist their leg up a little bit, or or you know but or lose a shoe or lose a sole of a shoe or a sock or whatever but man you 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 gotta laugh i mean you it's funny and like i said some of the pictures i think are starting to get on the board and some guys make little videos with you know like the canadians last year they made like a video montage of all these guys falling down and trying to get up and people helping them off and i mean it some good stuff I, I tell people that are new to putting a radio car, like lining up a radio car, being on the start ends, I'm telling them you got to do what I call the radio tire march. You cannot plant your feet. You have to constantly kind of keep moving on a sticky track like that because the second you let you, you just you completely plant, you're, you're signing off on having a bad time. <laughs> so you just you, yep. you've set yourself up for it for sure. Yeah. And yeah, so many, so many times the guys come in there to turn on the, uh, turn on the computer or something in the back of the car. I mean, uh, you'll see that the shoe or a shoe or a pair of shoes is on the starting line and there's no, no person because they couldn't get the shoes off the track. So, I've literally a, a had to lo- a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff. I've literally had to tell people before I've seen up there in like sandals or Crocs. I'm like, don't even step on that track. I'm like, you are just, this is not going to end well. Yeah, you're you're asking for it. Well, you saw what Chad Reynolds did a couple of years ago at Ducks Race, right? No, I, I surely did not. He took his he took his flip flops and he put like golf spikes in them. Ah. So he had like radial tire flip flop golf spikes, and it was the there most ingenious thing on earth because you know Chad doesn't believe in wearing foot prisons, so you know he he's like got those on there. I'm like, you know what, you you're one of the smartest people in the room that you, you took the time to came up with that. And, and to be honest with you for Chad and smartest and ingenious in the same line, that's saying a lot because you know, that's Chad Reynolds. Yeah. Ch- Chad is the, the, the embody <laughs> the, the embodiment of, it seemed like a good idea at the time, which yeah. I could say, because, you know, I've worked with Chad for a long time. He's actually the one that, you know, people can either thank or blame for getting me into the media industry because him and loans gave me my, uh, my first chance on being a contributor to bank shift many years ago. Right. And, you know, I've worked with him on the uh, $10,000 uh, drag shootout as well. And he's, uh, he's one of those people that literally is like him and I are in the same vein of, we think drag racing and drag racing stuff is awesome. It doesn't matter how dumb it is. We'll find a way to be like, all right, that's cool. We need to check that out. <laughs> yeah. And Chad with bankshift.com, you know, was our, our live feed provider uh, previous to this year. And for about, I think around 10 years uh, straight. And when I did the, the, well, it was technically speed video when we made the contract, but then it turned into flow. My, my request in that contract is I wasn't going to sign that contract unless Chad Reynolds would be the host and, you know, through a little negotiations and all that, uh, streetcar supernationals is hosted by Chad, Chad Reynolds. So little, little, little story on, on, on us switching over to flow 
Um, and we, the, the, the deal was we kept Chad and, and we still got Chad. So our racers love him and, uh, hopefully we can keep him for a long time. Which I, I think that is well, something we can talk about here. And, you know, you've been around the game for a while too, is how important it is to keep drag racing entertaining, correct? Whether it's a good announcer on the mic or, you know, keeping things going like that. It, it's important, especially these days to really keep the fans engaged. Oh, absolutely. And we usually have Al Tucci, um, He's done the race since the beginning, but, you know, when all this thing, when we had the uncertainty of fans and, you know, and, and you, and you know that, you know, you're, you're going to be this much in the hole. We, we couldn't afford to bring Al out this year. So, uh, you know, but we'll bring him out next year, as long as he wants to come and uh, we'll get Al back on behind the mic, but we got Nathan Hershey from Las Vegas, which is an NHRA caliber of the announcer. Oh, he did awesome. Yes. Yeah, so and so we like I said we got Nate and and actually Kenny Nolan came out on his dime to come out there and help me a little bit go go on the mic especially when we did which we didn't touch base on uh, earlier um, Friday night we did what we call four wide Friday night and we did uh, we did four four wide grudge racing with uh, radio cars versus slick tire cars and that was that was man it was that was epic yeah let's let's talk about that for a second because again that's something unique that you know I. I I, I boogied out because I had to get back to the hotel and get some stuff done. But I saw some of the pictures and videos of that. That's unique to do as well because, like you said, it's the radial tires versus the slick tire cars grudge racing. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's never been done. Uh, we we done it uh, two years ago, but we only did like one, you know, one set of four, which uh, we call them quads. Now, I guess you, if you want to be technical about it. So anyway, so. We didn't know for sure if we were going to be able to do it because uh, they had uh, LVMS had a one broken tree during a national event. But then at the uh, last second, Jeff got the tree fixed. And um, so Fred, we actually decided to do it Friday morning. So uh, Jay Bodie, who's, uh, you know, very popular in the in the grudge world, I called him up. He, you know, his son was racing. I go, hey, I go, can you get me? You know, can you get me three sets of radio cars, three sets of slick, car, slick cars, and uh, let's do like three, you know, three, four wide grudges. And we put it together, and uh, that Friday night we got it, you know, put off. I'm not saying there was any money going on, but, you know, they money into a purse. And, and uh, we set set three sets of quads down there and um, big tire cars, one, two out of the three. Uh, but, man, it was entertaining. They it, it, it the staging process is unique and when you're you know i mean if you're john forrest and you've raced four wide at, at a couple different tracks already you, you kind of know what you're doing but we get these guys and they've never raced four wide so it's you know it's it's a chore to figure out how to stage your car oh it's a circus <laughs> especially well especially because i mean like when john forrest raced he got all four top fuel cars okay so therefore they're all the same staging procedure, basically, other than John likes to go in last. Um, so now you put it on, now you switch to what we got. Man, you got you have turbo cars, you got pro charger cars, you got, you know, guys that do, <laughs> excuse me, everything different on the, on the starting line and able to get them all the four stages at the same time. And But we uh, the first two pairs weren't pretty, but the last one was perfect. And uh, we had great results, and it'll give us something to promote next year and and, 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 you know, enhance it next year, maybe do five sets of, of quads. The best part about grudge racing is that you don't have to worry about putting a pot up. Those guys are going to create their own pot. Exactly. And that, and that, that's even better. 
Yeah. And they're going to be very entertaining about it because grudge racing, you know, you, I think that people either love it or hate it. To me, it's entertaining as hell to watch these guys try to play each other. And then just everything that goes on around that racing to me is pure entertainment. Oh, it is because I mean, I just from the, from the chip draw to the, to the money going in the pot to the, you know, the, the talking back and forth beforehand, the psyching out of your opponent. The, I mean, it's just, there's so much that goes on. It's so fast paced and then it's done. I mean, it's done. And since it's no time, who knows how quick they went. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so there, there you go. The, the crazy thing about, you know, the chip draw stuff is I've been to a couple of the no prep King events and like the chip draw stuff. When you see two heavy hitters, get each other like right off the bat that's when things get entertaining in a hurry and like everybody really gets keyed up to watch that because there's you know that's literally like you could be seeing like a number one versus a number one qualifier essentially because they're two of the fastest cars on the property going at it first round yeah and then take it for what we did you got four of them going down at one time so it was pretty cool so if you if, if nobody's seen it um I mean, it's on you. It's on YouTube. It's on our Facebook page. I I did a Facebook live of the whole thing. Um, I mean, it's it's entertaining. I mean, it's it's worth uh, worth checking out. And like I said, just something else we have to offer the unique experience that is Streetcar Supernationals. And hopefully, Streetcar Supernational Seventeen will be unmasked. So, get rid of the mask. <laughs> well. And another thing you guys do that's cool that I always like is like the uh, the little pro mod deal, you know, fastest one takes the pot. That's a lot of fun to watch because those guys, they're either uh, it's an extra test hit or they've prepared for this and they know what they need. They know how much weight they need to pull out of the car to get it to still go down the track. Yeah. And then like I said, if you're a turbo guy, you you put bigger turbos on. If you're a blower guy, you you take the weight out. You know, so it's just like, it, so it is, it is a, it is a fun thing to watch. And we, we run them down one at a time so they can pick their own lanes. So they don't have to complain about, you know, they thought this lane was better. So we let them, we go one at a time. And uh, Ed Thornton won this year. Uh, I believe he went off 552, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, like, 552, 273, I believe. It's yeah. like, well, just, just 273. <laughs> to, to, to put that in perspective for some fans that are listening, that's top alcohol dragster numbers. Yes. <laughs> and a door car. Yep. And a door car. I mean, Ed Thornton's car, I believe, is, is 2,600 and some change, not 2,200 or 23, whatever the uh, fuel or uh, alcohol car runs. And it's not a mile long either. And, it, and it, ex- Exactly. It, and I always tell people, I'm like, you, you could tell a pro mod run is slow if it looks smooth. I'm like, those cars, yep. when they are going down the track and it looks like the driver's doing everything he can to not get killed, that, that means it's going what it's doing what it should be doing. It's going fast. Right. And what's cool about Ed Thornton's car is Ed Thornton's car started off as a nitrous car. So it was a nitrous car. And if anyone knows about pro mods, uh, the engine placement in a nitrous car versus a turbo car is completely different. So it was this car. So Ed basically has, you know, the configuration of a nitrous car, but he runs twin turbos. So therefore, Ed Thornton can never get his car to, to you know, to run to the eighth like a or 60 foot 
like the other cars. I mean, he only, I, I keep saying only, but yeah, on that 552, I believe it was a 380 to the eighth. A 380 is not that quick in pro mod world. Um, especially if, when you go 273 miles an hour at the finish line. So, so that, so Ed basically packs everything he has in that, in that second part of the track. And uh, he does very well at it. That's I did not know that about his car, and that makes that run even more intense because, like a nitrous, like you said, a nitrous car and a turbo car, how they are set up is completely different across the board. Because with a nitrous car, you got to set that car up to just smash everything out, and you know, almost the first hundred feet. A turbo car is all about the back half. That thing's mm-hmm. got to be, that's got to be a hell of a ride once you get past the eighth eighth mile mark. Oh yeah, I mean, well, just think about it. I mean, he go, he went from a three eighty to a to a uh, five seventy two, so that that's a pretty good back out. That's like, <laughs> wow, that's yeah. like there. There's people that pay a lot of money to do something like that in an amusement park, or they join the air force to right. join to to uh to do a jet pilot because that's that's jet pilot stuff right there. Yeah, oh. and th- the thing about a pro mod like that on the back half is that that's. That's a handful to keep that car doing what it should be doing. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, well, like I said, in case I'm pointing this one, Ed Thornton, he's been doing it for 30 years. And, you know, he started on the street. His nickname was Plastic Man because, you know, he was like one of the first ones to have, you know, um, um, I can't remember the name because they don't really use it anymore. Fiberglass. (laughs) fiberglass there you go everyone's carbon fiber now so sorry about that so yeah he was the first one to have like fiberglass parts on his on a street car and make it lighter because you know back in the day you know a lot of people didn't realize that you know a lighter car goes faster and but he did and he and uh he got a nickname plastic man and uh that you know that propelled him until today i mean still racing today after 30 years of drag racing so pretty good accomplishment and then something we can tie together with that was something that i heard kenny talk about over the pa was you know pro extreme cars don't run a quarter mile for a very good reason it, it's honestly it's safety it's the same reason why frankie taylor has never uncorked his car then because you know he flat said that was fun to do one time don't know if i want to do that again yeah well if we, if we all remember what frankie taylor did do that one time he did it and he did it in st louis and uh that was uh, the fastest side-by-side pass. He went to, well, Turkey or Turkey Al Safari in a turbo car went uh, 546, and then Frankie Taylor, I believe, went a 549 or right, pretty close to that. Yes. Uh, side by side by side in 100 plus degrees and 99 percent humidity in probably the greatest drag race that not many in person saw. I so. I remember seeing that video. And my first reaction was, holy shit. Like, yeah. just legit, those two cars going that fast. Like, people who, you know, people cheered, oh, that's fast. But, you know, people who really understand drag racing, like, looked at that like, that's kind of crazy. And the NHRA was not too pleased after that happened. Yeah. Well, I never got a letter um, where everyone says that I got a letter, said don't do it anymore. They never reached out to me. I'm not saying that they weren't upset about it or they weren't concerned about it, but I personally did not get a letter from NHRA. Debunking uh, the rumor. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> but however, um, you know, that pass was at the end of a night after all eliminations 
And you just don't get those type of side-by-side, I mean, fastest or quickest and fastest side-by-side passes at the end of a night ever. And uh, when, like I said, when those scoreboards lit up, you know, the 40 or so people that were standing on the starting line, I mean, it got quiet because, no, you know, I think everyone realized what they just saw and, and you know, it was that they were just in amazement. It took a while for people to, to cheer because it was like, they couldn't believe their eyes when side by side forties come up on that board. Yeah. That's like when you compare that to other classes, I mean, that's like nitro cars from 25 years ago. That's like their numbers <laughs> Yeah, in a door car. In a, in a door car. Yep. In the, in the heat, it was a, it was a uh, heat advisory all weekend. The radio stations told people not to go outside. I mean, it, of course, as a drag promoter, you love getting getting those uh, newscasts. Yeah, don't go outside. It's it's a heat index of 125 today. Not safe. It's like, well, <laughs> what what can you do? I, you know, I remember when I got to see the radio tire record broken a couple times up at the World Cup in the quarter mile, and that's one of those things. The guys that make those kinds of passes, like, I'm not going to say most drag racers are cavalier. You know, they 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 don't show openly like the risk they you know we all know we're doing something really stupid but like when you're trying to go that fast and set a record like that it's approached with i'm not going to say hushed tones but like they're taking it serious it's not like your typical i'm going to make a hit it's like all right things might get kind of weird let's make sure we got the car right yep uh, you know and, and speaking of historic passes uh they um the sorceress that's something that needs to be talked about yeah i mean that is a run. big yeah. that is a big heavy street driven car with power windows and what whatever the heck that car has on it but it went 260 miles an hour 598 it's like holy moly are you serious i interviewed i, mean, I interviewed him about that i i talked to him he had that car at pri years ago and i interviewed him yes. then and i i went into his you know, I, I was actually looking at the gentleman that, that crashed the pro mod. And then I was like, oh, I'll go talk to Rod, you know, because I saw where they put po- uh, Shane Tettenberg posted about that record. I talked to him about it. And Rod told me like a week ago, they had that thing out Iowa. He was driving his wife around like they're going to dinner in it. Just driving down the freeway. And then, you know, a week later, here it is going, you know, 250 plus miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, just to- totally insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's people that love and they hate that car because it just doesn't, you know, doesn't, I mean, you know, it's a little more swoopy and squared off than a lot of different cars, but man, I think it's cool. And man, to watch it, watch it get into the fights for the first time and watching the crew and, and it's like, you know, after years and years and years and years of trying to make that car go, you know, that quick. Uh, they finally did it, and uh, and I'm glad they did it our race because I mean Larry Larson was the first one to go in the fives at, at streetcar, you know, in in a, in uh, in his car way back in the day. Uh, so I mean we have so many firsts at 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 Vegas. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, you talk about someone else that's a gangster behind a streetcar. I, I shot the car for a feature that Larry was driving this weekend. You know, I've seen him drive his other stuff, but man, that guy, I, I've seen him do things in cars that I'm like. That's not normal. Most people would have aborted that run, and he just whips it down the track like it's, you know, no big thing. No, Larry Larson's a legend, and 
that's why he's a legend. He can he can drive anything. He can drive anything fast, and he can you know, and usually get down to the finish line without having uh, you know without having touching anything. I guess you could. He, he's also a legend off the track for the simple fact that like rules makers, I think now have learned to fear him because anytime they think that they can pencil him out, <laughs> he finds a way. You know, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, no prep kinks thought. Oh, we're going to get him. We're going to limit his combination. He said, "Guess what? We're going to stick a tractor pulling turbo on this. That won't work." Guess what? He almost won the championship. They tried to ride his truck out. He slapped four inches on the bed. They said, "You can't yep. do that anymore." He said, "All right, I'm going to go build a Cadillac ATSV, and it matches." Like he told me, it's down to the body panel. He could go down to a GM dealership, and if they had an ATSV fender there, he could put it on that car to work. It's wow. it's unreal. No, he like I said, he's he's a legend, and uh, and and we're just lucky that we can have him, you know, uh, come to our race as many times as he does, and uh, love having him. Well, Mel, our time is coming to an end here on the Dragzine Podcast, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to do a little bit of John Force and talk about where they can be found at, hit their sponsors up, and everything else. And you, know, you've been a great guest, so I want to turn the floor over to you so you can tell people. You know, who you like to thank, where they can learn more about what you got going on, everything else. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. All right. Well, like I said, first, I'd like to thank you and Dragzine for uh, giving me the opportunity. Um, our website is streetcarsupernationals.com. Uh, our apparel is racepsca.com forward, forward slash store. Um, we have everything on there from right actually right now we're putting on the uh, streetcar event shirts that we had we do two of them every year well last year we did three three different designs this year we did two because of the pandemic and we just didn't want to have extra shirts but we ended up selling out of extra large and 2x of every design we had so thank you fans for for supporting us uh, you know Facebook streetcar supernationals um, the just the, like I said, the support that that you fans give us keep it keep us going, and um, we'd like to like for years to come. We, we will entertain you with everything we we got. Streetcar Supernationals is brought to you by Comcams and Fuel Tech. Um, without those two companies, we wouldn't be able to put it on. We'd like to thank Flow Racing and Chad Reynolds, uh, James Lawrence, which got the ball rolling with Speed Video, getting Streetcar Supernationals on the Flow Racing. Um, and then all of our, our Las Vegas Motor Speedway crew who bring in Kurt and TVC with Kane and Ralph gave our, our track just an insane amount of prep and made it to where not one complaint was there the whole weekend, which is uh, which doesn't happen very often. No, I, I've been around, drag race, been, been around drag racing a long time, and I can tell you that. And then, and then all of our crew from Scott Bischke, Kim, all the girls in the trailer, uh, Brandon Mudd, Brandon Mudd does our, our PR, uh, Kenny Nolan came out and helped us announce. Um, I mean, it's, a these people have all been with us for since the beginning. And, um, when you can keep the same team there from the beginning to the, you know, until, well, until now, I mean, it just, it makes your job a lot easier because everybody knows what they got to do. You know, I, I basically, um, parking cars. I never go to, to the event trailer all weekend I, we i went there twice to do chip draws in the back of the trailer but i don't even i i just don't have time to go there and, and heather just it's amazing what my wife heather does at that trailer and if uh if west buck is listening 
30 under 30. It's her last year. She needs to be uh, on that uh, 30 under 30 list. So uh, other than that, the, the, the magazines that come out, internet magazines that come out and, and, and cover our event, um, post all our results. Um, thank you very much. Well, Mel, I'm officially adding this race to my list of bucket list races that I've been very fortunate to attend, and I'm going to tell people that they've got to put this on their list for sure going forward because it's a it's one hell of a show. Oh yeah, it's like I said, one of a kind race. Something you're going to see something that happened at this race that you'll never see again. Just a real quick point: we had one guy stage backwards in his car, like it was like six or seven years ago. And because his car didn't have forward gears, so he backed it up there. He had a buy run, and he backed it, backed it to break the beams. It was the craziest thing I've, I've still ever seen. I never seen that happen before, and I don't think we'll ever see it happen again. Just all kinds of fun moments, Mel. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Mel for stopping by, and as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next time, folks.